Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with Episode 9 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. It is the return of Shamarco Thomas, yo, 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 yo. the man, the myth, the legend. He is back and better than ever, ready to break down Syracuse versus Florida State. A tough loss for the Orange, 33-30. to 30. Uh, on a last-second field goal, some controversy on the last drive. We'll get into all of that. Uh, but, Shamarco, I just wanted to start by first welcoming you back after a, a brief absence and also you. you know, to get your thoughts on um, the, the game overall and uh, you know, Syracuse's performance and, and the close loss. Uh, first off, much respect to Strader. You know, <laughs> much better straighter, man. No, man, he did his thing, man. He, he's a very tough, athletic quarterback, you know. I never was sleeping on him, but, you know, I'm always for the underdog, DeVito. But still respect DeVito, but, hey, when it's your opportunity, you take advantage. And he that's what he's doing, man. Came to a close game, field goal at the end. Man, and uh, I straighter did his thing. And I feel like they played a good game, too, man. I feel like it was all about the big plays and cues and mistakes and – uh that last drive with Florida State and that quarterback, he made some great plays to get them in field goal range, man. So tough loss, but I feel like, man, straight out quarterback, man, you got opportunity to win. And we can't forget about internet sensation Kyle Left, left our, our producer extraordinaire. Uh, Kyle, let's let's get bring you in um, at the start of the episode to get your thoughts on the loss. I mean, it was just a tough loss. It was a battle of the quarterbacks, and I know we'll get into it, but – I I was confused about a lot of the offensive game plan, the defensive game plan, just across the board. I, I don't know what happened here, uh, in all honesty. I was just thrown for a loop watching this game. It, it was – there were different points where I was confused kind of by the approaches from both teams at different points. There were some execution issues here and there. There were some – officiating calls that I couldn't quite understand or even non-calls as it were towards the end of the game but we will definitely get into all that but but before we get to that we're back and better than ever all eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season as always bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season 
With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports book experts. But as as Shamarco mentioned, I want to start with Garrett Schrader and his performance. Uh, I think the biggest key for him was not the fact that he ran for 137 yards and three touchdowns. We kind of knew that from watching him against Liberty, watching him against Albany. It's a third straight game where he's had at least two rushing touchdowns that he can run the ball. He can be effective that way. But for Syracuse's offense to take that next step, he had to be not an elite passer, but at least a competent passer. He had to be at least competent throwing the football to keep that threat alive so that opposing teams would respect it enough so that you're not constantly facing nine or even 10 man uh, boxes uh, on the opposing side. Schrader finished 13 for 23, 150 yards, one touchdown. He did have one interception, but that was on a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. That really doesn't count uh, when you're talking about taking care of the, of the football. Um, Shamarco, your thoughts on Garrett Schrader, not necessarily as a runner, but as, as a passer, I thought he took a lot of strides in this game and really kind of grew within the offense. Definitely. He definitely grew, man. I seen him throw a touchdown pass. Uh, and, man, his confidence went up. Not for, like, the running game and him scoring them touchdowns early gave him the boost in his arm because them, them DBs and linebackers and D-tackles just worried about him. So he had to be he, – he was able to get the guys open by them running the ball, scoring twice. And uh, I feel like it's his time now, man. I still feel bad for my dog to be, though. But straight up, I got much respect, man. Like, I'm cheering you on now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he wasn't perfect by any means, right? So he, he had a couple of plays that he'd like to have back. The one in particular I can think of, which is, you know, people are going to harp on the fourth down plays, specifically the fourth and, and goal at the one-yard line where he got oh, hit. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, kind of looked like he got in, but you couldn't tell where his legs were on the replay, so they couldn't overturn it. But before that play, um, I think it was two plays before that on second down, they – Syracuse lined up as if they were going to run a quarterback draw. And as Schrader got close to the line of scrimmage, he stopped and did one of those Tim Tebow jump passes to reserve tight end Maximilian Mang. And the play was open, but Schrader just overthrew him by about a yard or two. And that's one of those areas where he can, he can develop some growth, you know, in terms of, of touch on some of those throws. And we saw him against um, Liberty, early in that game with a couple of deep shots that were just overthrown. So I think, you know, some touch on some of those passes are things that he's definitely got to work on, but he yeah, made some nice. Right. Yes. Yes, he does. So cool. he, he made some nice throws over the middle. Um, I thought in this one on some crossing routes, including a couple where, you know, the coverage was pretty tight. So that, that gives you some hope. I think that he can develop into someone who can make some of those throws um, a higher percentage of the time. Sky's the limit, man. He's he's still young. He got three years, man. You see that he got tangibles to be a great quarterback, man. And uh, the more comfortable he gets in more games and opportunities he gets, I feel like he's going to get better and comfortable with the pocket and throwing the ball to the receivers. 
And you can see the confidence with the team with him back there too, right? I mean, there's there's a certain level of confidence with the offensive line that that Schrader's going to make the right play. I think uh, the skill position guys have respect for him, the wide receivers. Um, you know, obviously, Sean Tucker likes the offense running through him, so he, he's good <laughs> with, with that whole situation. But, you know, the, the team as a whole, they just – they kind of have a vibe that they think – you know, Hey, we can win with this guy. This guy's on our team. And, and the thing with him, the last three games is outside of the hail Mary interception, he's taking care of the football. So he's not making the mistakes and that's keeping Syracuse in games and, you know, being down 10 points on the road in the fourth quarter in a hostile environment, the fact that you can come back and tie that game, regardless of the circumstances with how it ended, I think that shows potential and, and it should show some hope for what the offense can become the rest of the season. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. He has no ceiling, man. I'm telling you, once he get comfortable, I feel like he's going to be, a, I don't want to say dungeon. I don't want to put too much on him, you know what I'm saying? But I feel like he got that caliber, you know what I'm saying? I didn't know he, he was moving like that. You know, Liberty, you know, Liberty and the other game before that, you know, those are lower level teams, but you see him get Florida State breaking away from linebackers and DBs and scoring. I'm like, oh, man. He definitely got a talent, but like I said, he's opened up the pass game, and I feel like he's going to get comfortable with his receivers in practice. You know, the coach is going to keen on his strengths, and I feel like he's going to ball out for the rest of the season. I mean, on that 55-yard touchdown run that he had, I mean, I think we kind of all knew, you know, he's a good runner, and, and he's a physical runner. He's kind of more of that than than the fast, the speedy type of guy. Yeah. But like you said, he was running away from people on that run. That was yeah. – I didn't know he had that. <laughs> They didn't know he had that extra gear in him. That was that was pretty impressive. That that certainly caught me oh, yeah. by surprise. It caught me by surprise. I'm seeing DBs <laughs> about to pull their hamstrings trying to catch. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think it caught them by surprise too. No question. Uh, the learn how to slide, quarterback slide. Take care of yourself. <laughs> there's no he he had several opportunities where he took some unnecessary hits when he yes. he could have he could have taken a slide, and that was something that. Syracuse coaches, whether it was Scott Schaefer or <laughs> Dino Babers, were trying to teach Eric Dungy to do for four years, and that dude just would not. Yeah, he just, he just would not slide. Um, he was a true gamer for sure. Staying Definitely. on the offensive side of the ball, one player that did not play in this game for Syracuse is Tosh Harris, and we have since learned that he has decided to enter the transfer portal, as he announced on his Twitter account Sunday afternoon. Um, first with other guys stepping up in his absence, and then we'll get to what his absence means for the team going forward. But Anthony Queeley caught a touchdown pass. Uh, Damian Alford had a couple of catches. Courtney Jackson, who filled in as the slot wide receiver, had six catches in this game. I think that they show that they've got some depth there at wide receiver, and and it was good for the rest of the season to see some of those other guys step up and, and show some chemistry with Garrett Schrader. Oh, yeah. They're taking advantage of the opportunity, seizing the moments, and the time they get on the field, man. So kudos to them. I feel like when one goes down, so one transfers, whatever, the other guys got to step up, and that's what they're doing. They're doing a great job of it. Damian Alford is is my guy. He's He's the one that, you know, I've I've kind of been chirping about for the last couple of years since he committed. You know, he's six five guy from Canada, runs really well, freak athlete, someone I think the sky is the limit for him. So uh it'll be interesting to see if he gets some more some more reps going forward because I think he could be a difference maker. 
That's amazing, man. They they're balling though, man. Like I said, seize the moment, seize the opportunity, man. If one person goes down, they stepping up. So I I, I feel like they're gonna have a great season too, man. Especially with Schrader back there, they're all getting together, you know what I'm saying, camaraderie and stuff. And I feel like it's going to be a great season. Yeah, and as you said, more opportunities for other guys and uh, the fact that, you know, they're spreading the ball around to a bunch of guys as well. I think uh, we'll keep defenses honest. Tyler's being gone, man. It's like I said, other receivers have got to step up and seize the opportunity. And that's what they're doing. You can see it in the last game against Florida State. And also, man, I hope the best for Tyler. I don't know him like that, but – Regardless, the show goes on, man. That's what I learned in NFL, college, no matter what person injured, they transfer, the show got to go on, man. And uh, like I said, I wish the best for him. And uh, it's a, I don't feel like it's a major impact, you know, because you got, the running game has been amazing. And uh, like I said, the other receivers have been consistent. So, man, I wish him the best. And Syracuse going to keep balling. And we don't know specifically what the actual reason was why he decided to leave now, whether it was, um, you know, a conflict with the coaching staff, whether it was frustration with the change in, in direction of the offense being a run first offense as opposed to a pass first offense. And therefore his role reduced a little bit, you know, he becomes more of a blocker, less of a playmaker. Uh, I can certainly understand why a number one wide receiver would be frustrated with, with that change in, in role. But um you know, regardless, as as you said, opposing teams aren't going to care that he's not there. They're not going to take it easier on Syracuse as a result. The Syracuse players are not going to prepare any um, any less because Taj Harris isn't there. They're not going to feel sorry for themselves. The offense is not going to stop trying to put up points because he's not there. Um, so, you know, I, I think they've got the players and the depth with some of the younger guys to, to be able to step up. And, um, you know, maybe it means that the ball is spread around a little bit more, which which could put some even even more pressure on opposing defenses, as we saw, like you said, Shamarco against Florida State with with Courtney Jackson with six catches, Queeley with a couple of catches, Damian Alford with a couple of catches, Sherrod Johnson had one, uh, even Devon Cooper came in and, and had a catch um, in this game. So, you know, I, I think it was it was good to see that many players uh, stepping up and and being active and participating in in the passing attack and. You know, we'll we'll see where it goes from here. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells. Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. But certainly, so the way that works, that's an excellent question because that was the first thing that I thought about it as well. Is the new redshirt rule is that if you play in four games or fewer during a single season, you can still redshirt that season. So, because he missed the I believe it was the Albany game that he didn't play because he missed the Albany game due to injury. He's only played in four games. So because of that, he still has the ability to redshirt this season. Um, And so I, I think that was, that probably played a role in this as well. You know, if he's thinking he's going to transfer regardless, because he's not happy with his role, 
then doing so now, as opposed to playing out the rest of the season, preserves a year of eligibility for him. So, you know, there's there's going to be talk, and, and I was slightly incorrect in that they've got him playing in three games, not four, um, because he did miss the Albany game due to injury, but then he did also miss this Florida State game because he didn't travel with the team. But um, regardless, so preserving his eligibility you know, is, is the best decision for him in terms of what he wants to accomplish with the rest of his collegiate career. Um, I, I certainly understand there were a large faction of, of fans on social media that view it as him quitting on the team uh, because if the reason is strictly because of role, then do you have an obligation to stick it out for the rest of the year with your teammates to, to support them, even if you're not happy with your role and then you decide to leave in the offseason? You know, I, I get that perspective as well, but, you know, ultimately he made a decision he thinks is best for him and he's, he's going to go somewhere with uh, two years of eligibility left and we'll see how the rest of his career plays out. Hope he has some thousand yard seasons, man. <laughs> he got to do something amazing because I, I want to say thing to these young guys, you know, your attitude and how you're on and off the field and what you betray is ultimately what the scouts and the coaches are going to look at in the NFL. So you may be a hell of an athlete, hell of a receiver, but them, co- them coaches and them scouts see you giving up on your team. Them coaches and scouts see you don't want to play a key role in, in the team. You know what I'm saying? Like I've seen guys like A.B. block for Le'Veon Bell in games where A.B. was having an amazing game, you know, or Le'Veon sitting back and waiting for, you know, A.B.'s having an amazing game. Le'Veon is blocking his butt off. So that's, it's something that's keying in on your scouts too, man. Like, not just your athletic ability, man. They want to see your character, see who you are when things are, things are in turmoil, when it's not your way, when you're not just the star, you know? It's a team camaraderie, it's a team effort. So I still wish him luck. I don't I don't judge him or make any decisions. It's ultimately his journey and his mission. But like I said, man, just know it's not all, all about your talent. And the one thing we know is wide receivers are never divas, right? So that's... Uh-huh. That's never happened before. <laughs> That's never happened before. Um, so moving on to to uh, continue to break down Syracuse versus Florida State. Um, I want to talk about the the Florida State rushing attack against Syracuse's defense. This was Syracuse's worst rushing performance uh, defensively of the season. Florida State ran for over. 240 yards um, on the ground, averaged 6.7 yards per carry. But I feel like a lot of that was Travis, uh, I'm sorry, Jordan Travis, the the quarterback. He ran for 113 yards. And then you had uh, Treshawn Ward, their backup running back. He had uh, one 65-yard run and then was pretty quiet the rest of the game. Um, Jashawn Corbin had a decent game, 14 carries for 65 yards, but you know, that's only four and a half yards per carry, but it was really that 65 yard run by Treshawn Ward. And then those two long runs by Jordan Travis on Florida state's last drive, which, which, uh, uh, accounted for just about 60 yards rushing. So that's 120. That's about half 
of their total on the day. But even still, it was pretty clear that Jordan Travis's legs were really giving Syracuse some problems. He got out of a lot of of uh, situations where it looked like Syracuse was going to force a second or a third and long, and he would turn them into a second or third and short. And I think that's that's something Syracuse has to be aware of as they navigate the rest of the schedule, especially with uh, Malik Cunningham coming up from Louisville and some other guys, and even this week against Wake Forest. They've got to figure out what the situation is with mobile quarterbacks because we know that Malik Willis had some success on the ground as well. Yeah, definitely, man. I feel like the, it, was, it was tough, man. When you get them type of quarterbacks, it's hard to keep them in the pocket, man. They got athletic ability. And uh, that last drive, I seen an amazing spin out to get to the sideline. <laughs> it's like some things just happen in the game. But, man, I feel like that's a learning, that's a learning thing for them, you know, and they get back to the practice field and learn that. You got to keep the containment and get more pressure at the middle more than more pressure in the middle and letting them outside because them quarterbacks thrive on the outside. You know, you get them more field, they make plays. And I feel like that was who won the game, man. That quarterback made some amazing plays. Like one of the last, in that last drive, I thought he was sacked when he spun out and got out of the sideline. You know what I'm saying? What can you do about it, man? He's a D1 player too. So it's just a learning, learning thing. And I feel like they'll get back and be better for the next person. You said the dude from Louisville. Yeah, he's he's legit uh, as far as his his ability to run the ball. Uh, but, but that's you know, how's this coming to now, man? That's the that's what it is. Train. That's what it is. Absolutely. I mean, look at Syracuse with with Garrett Schrader as as an example of that as well. The teams are going to have to prepare for. But the best running backs now. Absolutely. And, you know, the last drive gets is going to get a lot of attention because it was a last drive and, and understandably so. And we'll we'll get into, you know, some um, officiating miscues on that last drive a little bit later. But um, th- there was there were a couple of other plays and, and one specifically that that I wanted to note about Jordan Travis and his ability to escape, as as you mentioned, Shamarco, um, like he did in that on that last drive where it looked like he was going to be sacked. There was a situation in, I believe it was the third quarter where Syracuse had, um, had Florida state back as a a second and 15 after a false start penalty. This was early in the fourth quarter. Um, This is the, the drive that overlapped the end of the third quarter to the start of the fourth quarter for Florida state. Syracuse was trailing 23 to 20 and a false start pushed Florida state back to um, a second and 15 back deep in their own territory. And Travis dropped back Syracuse rushed only four players, but they were collapsing the pocket. They were getting pressure on him. He stepped up, got by one defender at the line of scrimmage. And then once he got by him, he got into the second level, ended up picking up 11 yards against most quarterbacks that's no gain, maybe a couple of yards. So you're now in a third and 14, third and 13 situation. And yet they ended up with a third and four. They convert the first down. They end up going down and scoring a touchdown to push the lead back to 10. And in a game that was as close as this was, those little plays here and there that changes a third and long into a third and short can make all the difference in the world, not only to how that drive turns out, but then ultimately the scoreboard at the end of the game. Exactly, man. Uh, 
Whew, I can't really say nothing, but that's a quarterback and his athletic ability. But the defense, you know, you know, you can't allow that, you know. And that's a like you said, it's a big key in the game that changes the momentum. Because literally, you can't name a Tom Brady that can do that besides throwing the ball or giving the screen. Usually on that play, you give a screen to the running back, you know, what I'm saying or a draw, and they get a couple yards to get you in a, a tangible down to make a first down. But dang, eleven yards. And then get the first down, man. That's a big. That's a big play. So I feel like the defense got to learn from their mistakes and uh, hone in. They should have had a uh, linebacker spying on them, you know, because he's that like he's that talented, man. So I feel like they'll learn from these mistakes. And this get, the game when they play Louisville, whoever up next, they have a spy on the quarterback because these athletic quarterbacks are not just getting to a, a average down. Getting eleven yards that is major. And let's let's keep it on the defensive side of the ball and go to the highlight of the day on the defensive side of the ball, which was Deuce Chestnut's spectacular interception on the wide receiver screen. That I mean, the the savvy that it takes to to go around a potential blocker, the wide receiver that was responsible for you know keeping him at bay so that they could set up the screen. He goes right by him. And then to dive in front of the ball to not only be there to break it up potentially, but then to catch it and maintain control when his full body slams on the ground. I mean, that was, that's the type of stuff that you expect to see from, you know, uh, an NFL player who's been in the league five, six years and did a whole bunch of film study and knows the tendencies because he's played against that particular team three times, four times a year for five years. Right. This isn't a, Oh, it's Florida state. It's the first time I've ever played them. Um, It's my fifth college game ever. Last year at this time, I was playing against, you know, five foot seven guys that run a six two forty, And now I'm here playing against Florida State has four <laughs> and five star athletes all over their roster. Um, incredible play by Deuce Chestnut. I really thought when he picked that off, the Syracuse was going to win the game. But even still, the, the Syracuse secondary has been tremendous all season. And Deuce Chestnut is the next superstar bet. back there. He's a vet, man. He's going to be a big time guy. And like you said earlier, film study. You might not think he's watching film, but he knows something. He knows something, man. To be able to be consistent, make them tight plays, he's watching film. His practice habits are well, man. Man, he's gonna be a star. You know that that play excited me. I say, man, he got that pick. Look like he's a he's a Santi Samuel, man. He's a great baller. I know he got a clothesline coming out. I gotta get some of his gear, man. I gotta represent for our DBs, man. <laughs> for real, man. That's an amazing play, hands down. I know he's watching film, and he's not scared to make them tight plays. That's a superstar mentality. And as you said with film study, that that play doesn't happen unless he has put in that work in the film room. Which, as a true freshman, the fact that he's put in that work to to notice that tendency that he can make that play in that type of situation um, is not only a great sign for what he's going to become, but also what he can be as a leader to get the rest of the young guys that come up underneath him to to study film the same way. And you can speak to that from guys that you've played with both in college and the pros that that how important that is and how that can, um, you know, sort of get other guys to maybe study film a little bit more than they otherwise would have. Oh yeah, definitely. He's going to become the leader, man. Once you see a superstar and all the work that he does behind, behind closed doors, as we say, you know what I'm saying? Everybody follows, man. And I know he's watching film. I know he's doing the action and uh, it's paying off. So I wish the best for him, man. I got to see, know where his website at so I can buy me a shirt and support my guy. 
Absolutely. Now let's get into the missed opportunities and blown calls. We'll, we'll get into some of those officiating miscues. First, I want to start with some of the team miscues. Uh, Syracuse had some time management blunders at the end of the first half where it looked like they were going to be able to, to get a field goal opportunity late in the half, but then called two timeouts without the clock being stopped where they could have called the timeout right after a 26 yard pass to Courtney Jackson that would have stopped the clock. And instead they let six or seven seconds go off the clock and then called two timeouts when the clock was stopped. Um, that I think ended up costing them some points. They had three fourth and short situations where they didn't convert on any of them. One of them was a fourth and two where they could have had about a 43 yard field goal in the first quarter to tie the game at three and instead went for the fourth and two and did not get it. They had a fourth and goal at the one yard line that they did not get. Garrett Schrader would say after the game that he thought after he snapped the ball, he heard the whistle. So he actually paused for a moment, looked over at the sideline, realized that they hadn't and the play was live. And that's when he went. So if you were watching it and wondered why it looked like Schrader hesitated for a moment, that's why he thought he had heard a whistle. And I think that prevented him from making it a sure thing that he got in. He still thinks he did. Uh, the, the replay seems to confirm that he did on a second effort but you could not see his his legs, and so they were unable to overturn that. But that was a missed opportunity. Uh, we've talked about some of the, the opportunities to stop Florida State, but Jordan Travis and others kept drives alive. Uh, this, this felt like a game where Syracuse put up 30 points. They forced a couple of turnovers. They got after the quarterback, had a few sacks, and yet it felt like they were close to – really dominating this game in a lot of respects. And because of some of those missed opportunities, you know, I think this could be a game that at the end of the season, they look back and go, man, we really should have won that game. Take it as a learning lesson though. Like I learned in NFL, man, whoever makes the least mistakes got a better chance of winning the game. So these mishaps and mistakes they made in the game, man, take it as a learning lesson and build from there, man. I know the coaches is keying in on them. Hopefully they can on the mistakes and the mishap they had in the game and capitalizing on practice and they learn from it and build off it. And to your point on that, on learning from it. So when Syracuse played Albany, they had, we, we talked about this, they had a team record in terms of most penalties and most penalty yards in a single game in Syracuse history. Since that, they had five right. penalties against Liberty and they only had three against Florida State. They didn't turn it over against Liberty. The only turnover against Florida State was on that Hail Mary, which I don't really count, to be honest with you. So if you look at what they struggled with, they had two turnovers against Albany, an FCS team. You shouldn't turn the ball over against them. They had all those penalties. <laughs> they had penalties against, against Rutgers that really hurt them at inopportune times. They had a couple of turnovers against Rutgers. And even with that, you know, they were still, in, they still obviously blew out Albany. They were still in the game against Rutgers. And you felt like if they can clean up those things, they should be competitive with just about everyone they played. And they've proven that the last two weeks. So credit should go to the coaching staff and the players for cleaning up those two areas. Definitely. That's definitely good. That's definitely. Now, now Syracuse. I'm breaking records though. Good gracious. I know. Pendles, 16. <laughs> it's, it's still unbelievable to think they had 16 penalties against Albany of all teams. But if you're going to have 16 penalties, I guess that's the game you want to have them in, right? Cause you're yeah. still going to win that game by, by quite a bit as they did. But um, it, you know, I, I think it would be 
unfair to those who listen and and want our analysis and our opinion um, as we break down some of the things Syracuse did well and did not do well, if we didn't at least discuss a few of the very questionable calls in this game. And there's there's two in particular that, that I think um, are worth discussing. So the, the first play that I wanted to start with is when Florida State's last drive of the first half and Syracuse had just taken a, I believe it was 13 to nine at that point. They had just taken a 13 to nine lead because both teams had missed an extra point. And Florida State was trying to drive and get a score before the end of the first half. They had either a first and 10 or a second and 10. I can't remember which it was. And Jordan Travis got flushed out of the pocket. Marlo Wax had outside contain. He came from the outside. And right as Travis was throwing the ball, Marlo Wax hit him. You know, as happens when you're rushing the quarterback. Didn't hit him in the head. Didn't hit him maliciously. It wasn't late. And they threw roughing the passer. And when you watch the replay, you see Wax's hand hit Jordan Travis's arm, which is what you're supposed to do. There was no contact with the head. As we mentioned, it wasn't late. He didn't slam him to the ground. I don't even think he really knocked him over. I think he just kind of bumped him backwards a little bit. But that they call roughing the passer. That gave them 15 yards. It pushed them inside the Syracuse 30-yard line. And a couple plays later, they scored a touchdown. And that that seemed to take the wind out of the sails of Syracuse. It had clearly gained momentum uh, coming back from two scores down to take a lead late in the first half. You know how it goes, protecting the quarterback and they're at home. You know them calls. <laughs> it's not right, but, man, as I learned in defense, man, all we do is control, control, and learn from it. And I don't like that call. You know, we all, as a Syracuse fan, we don't like that call. But you know how it goes with quarterbacks. Protect the quarterbacks. Little things, man. The little things count when you're away games. And that's what I mean. Uh, when you're away you know you're going to get them type of petty calls. I don't want to disrespect the refs <laughs> because I don't want to keep messing with my Syracuse guys, but you know you're going to get them type of calls, man. You know, and uh, it's come with the game. I don't even know what to say because you want to take up for our player and, you know, we know it's wrong, but you already know how the game goes with every quarterback, every situation when you're away. So, man, I hope it don't happen no more, but we know it's going to happen. You don't have to be disrespectful. I'll be disrespectful towards <laughs> both of us. Um, I mean, that I understand the, the protecting of the quarterback, but the problem, the problem is it's, it's not, it's not even that you're calling that it's the fact that you'll call it then. And then the same thing will happen four other times in the game and you won't call it in the other times. It, it's the inconsistency. And, and speaking of the inconsistency. So the fact that, that he had that, that penalty then rears its ugly head late in the game when Jordan Travis scrambles out, as as you alluded to earlier, looked like he was going to get sacked. He gets out of out of the, the mess, turns up field, and Marlo Wax, the guy who got called for the roughing earlier, is coming over. It looks like he's going to bump him out of bounds. It's going to be about a 10-yard gain. And instead, Wax pulls up, fearing that Travis is going to take a step out of bounds. He's going to make contact. They're going to call 15 yards. Instead, Travis turns up field, picks up another 23 yards, and gets them into Syracuse territory. Uh, so that that penalty had a result or had an impact as to how Wax defended Travis later in the game. But then th- I believe it was the next – it was two plays later. 
three plays later. It was a third and seven. And Florida State was at the Syracuse 38 or 39, somewhere around there. And they basically needed about another five to 10 yards to feel comfortable that they had a legit shot to make a a field goal. You know, they certainly didn't want a 56 yarder to try to win the game. They wanted to get as close as possible. And Travis again, gets pressured. Mikel Jones blitzes up the middle. He gets free right as he starts to get free. He is grabbed from behind and pulled backwards, which stops his free rush up the middle. Marlo Wax had outside contain. Cody Roscoe is coming as the defensive end. Roscoe gets by his man, and the guy then turns and reaches around and grabs him kind of around the chest to pull him back. Marlo Wax gets by his guy, and the offensive tackle grabs him by both of his shoulder pads. Wrestling fight, y'all did. It was. pulls, (laughs) Pulls the jersey and pulls him backwards as Wax was trying to bounce outside to stay with um with Jordan Travis. And so when that happened, both of the announcer or the 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 color analyst on the broadcast immediately shouted holding, you know, he saw it, immediately yelled it. And that rarely happens on a broadcast. So then Travis ends up running for I think it was 25 yards. He gets down to about the Syracuse 13 yard line, something like that. And then you're waiting for the little icon to pop up on the television screen that says flag and it never came. And they show the replay and the color analyst is saying, I don't know how that's not holding. And it was, it was holding on three different Syracuse players. He was focusing on the Marlowe wax. Cause that was the most obvious, the most blatant, but I understand there's, you could probably call holding on just about every play, but yeah. on a play that changes essentially takes it from a what would have been a third and 17 out of field goal range with nine seconds left to a first and 10 in chip shot field goal range with nine seconds left. It completely changes how the end of that game probably should have played out. And so, yes, I understand there's missed calls in every game. I understand all that. You can't miss something that obvious in that situation that directly impacts the scoreboard. And so I think there's a lot of Syracuse fans are going to be sick about that. I think the Syracuse players are going to be sick about that. It's just, it's unfortunate. My big issue with harping on the officials is when they make a mistake like that, there is never any accountability. You know, Shamarco Thomas, they do get accountability. That's what they say, but they'll be right back next week. Doing another big yeah, game. Oh yeah, oh, oh there will yeah. be there's there's no demotion in assignments. You can blow calls oh yeah, game oh after yeah, game, yeah. and you still get the big game assignments. I know they supposedly get graded, but my thing has always been: if you're going to grade them, then release your grades, make grades, them public, yeah. so we can see it. Oh, this guy isn't performing as we well. We see the so grade though. See. Oh, we see it absolutely. But here's the thing, right? Shamarco Thomas misses a tackle every single week. And guess what? Your coaching staff is going to get on you and say, Mark, you got to start making that tackle or else, you know, we're putting you down the depth chart or you're going to play special teams now or something, right? But when that happens with the official, there's nothing. So that's that's my thing. 
I, I really think they should get fined. You know, I think they, they should release. Out. I think they should release their grading and whatever repercussions supposedly come with that. All of that should be made public. There's no Fine. reason to I keep it. I bet they will change up. I bet their eyes will get better when you lose the money out your paycheck. <laughs> hey, I was <laughs> in the NFL. You know, we made the mistakes. You know, think about the hitting, hitting the target and stuff in the college right now. You get kicked out of the game. You know, that's a game that where you get filmed to live your dreams. These refs is making crazy calls and getting these kids kicked out of the games. Man, they should get the money taken out of their pocket. You know what I'm saying? When they make a mistake, or you know what I'm saying, get suspended for a certain game. And I'm not trying to disrespect the refs. I don't have nothing against no refs. I but think of how major of a player that you know what I'm saying. To you lose the game. You know what I'm saying? You lose the game. And I still don't believe in that targeting, kicking player out of the game stuff. You know what I'm saying? Think how how much you work the whole week. You make it could be in the first first play of the game. You hit somebody. You out. You know what I'm saying? So why shouldn't they get fine money? Why shouldn't they get money taken out? They, their family's mouth, like, we can take money out of our family's mouth. Yeah, I mean, listen, we can spend a whole podcast on just the target <laughs> rule. Uh, but I, I totally agree with you in that if I was going to change the rule, A, I'd probably just make it a 15-yard penalty and, and move on. But if you want to make an ejection, I think what you do is – you get a targeting warning. The, you get a 15-yard penalty. You get a warning. And then if you get a second targeting penalty, now you're ejected. I, yeah. I, because, and it's so hard when you're a defensive player and you're coming in to try to hit a, a, a ball carrier to knock him down, to dislodge the ball, or you know break up a pass, and the offensive <laughs> player lowers his head at the very last second and the defensive player has to adjust to that. It's you put them in such a bad situation from a, for a defensive player perspective. I think it's yeah. really tough with that targeting stuff. But um, you know, that's that's a whole you, you separate pretty, issue. You think they should have one warning? It is hard. It is I know. Hard. I mean, I'm just saying, if you're going to eject to them, then you so at least give them a warning the, first. So what if an offensive player duck his head? That's and and that's that's exactly the point that, that I was just making is that if the offensive player last second lowers his head, the defensive player was not going at his head, all of a sudden now hits him in the head because the offensive player lowered his head last second. I if it's me and you're gonna review it on video, if you review it on video and you see that the defensive player is clearly not going for the head and it only hits the head because the offensive player is the one who lowers his last second. To me, I wouldn't call that targeting. Yeah. I would I would pick yeah, up I the like flag that. and say, done. See, I like that type of rule. See, I like yeah. that. But they're not going to do it. <laughs> no, of course they won't. Um, they're, they're too afraid of getting sued by someone for, you know, long-term medical injuries and, and all that stuff. But that but comes I, with the game. We know what we signed up for. Not, yes. I've, <laughs> again, we could have a whole separate podcast <laughs> just arguing about this. Um, but anyway, let's let's bring Kyle in and get his final thoughts on Syracuse and Florida State and where Syracuse goes from here. And then we'll do the same with both Shamarco and myself. I mean, where Syracuse goes from here is they take this game as a they did their they did what they had to. The defense had some mistakes here or there. We discussed it, but every defense has an off night that no defense is perfect for an entire season. At some point, they are going to get beat by somebody, and they got beat by Travis here. That, yes, as you both said, there were refereeing issues across the board in a lot of places, um, and they should take that as we could have won this game. We had chances to win the game, but we didn't. We move on, move past it. We now try and go 10-2 and two on the season instead of 11-1. Uh, and one. 
that it's a, a roadblock. You deal with it. You move on. Like DeMarco, that, let's, let's go to you for your final thoughts. Like you said earlier, man, from every game, you feel like they got better from six, uh, 16 penalties, record-breaking 16 penalties. And I feel like that's what they're going to do this game, man. They're going to go in there, key on them, uh, mishaps and mistakes, and capitalize, man. Defense keep coming. Don't slow down because of the penalties or any situations. Offense, man, is in straighter's hands now, man. So all them guys got to get on the same page and go hard in practice. And I feel like they're going to keep elevating and making better, making better plays and being comfortable. And I feel like they're going to go the same record, 11 and 2, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you this: if they end up eleven and two, they're going to be in the ACC championship game. I'll tell you that. If hey, they don't lose the rest of the season, they'll be in the ACC championship. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? He, here's my final thoughts. I I think that you can see dramatic improvement from where Syracuse was the last two seasons. Last season, you kind of throw out a little bit all the injuries, the COVID year, etc. But even from two years ago, uh, when they finished five and seven, this team looks deeper, more talented, faster, more athletic uh, than what they were a couple of years ago. I-, I can't remember the last time I thought Syracuse probably should be five and zero, and you can make a legitimate argument that as they sit at three and two, that they could be five and zero. A couple of breaks here and there. I think part of that comes with learning how to win. When you're in a program that hasn't won much, and, and a lot of these guys haven't won much, and part of it is sometimes in sports you just have some bad luck, whether it's penalties, whether it's um, a backwards pass by Florida State that they drop or the ball falls on the ground, you're trying to dive on it, ends up bouncing Yo. up into the hands of another wide receiver who runs it in. I mean, that made me sweat. That. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes those things just happen, but I, I think that there is reason to be encouraged about the competitiveness of the team, where the team goes for the rest of the season. Uh, we'll see how they play against Wake Forest on Saturday. We will be here with you later this week for episode ten to break down Syracuse versus Wake Forest and and where Syracuse has opportunities to win that game. But um, I think you should be encouraged about. Garrett Schrader about the offense and taking some steps forward and uh, you know, being competitive in, I think they're going to be competitive in every game that they're in for the rest of the season. So I think that's all, all good things for, for Syracuse. Oh yeah. But that'll do it for episode nine of the believe in Syracuse podcast presented by bet online and Hoffman sausage company for Shamarco Thomas and Kyle left. I'm Mike McAllister and we'll see you next time. Yo, yo. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.